Welcome to She Been Ready, the podcast. She Been Ready is a conversation, a declaration, and a clarification that Black women have always led. On this podcast, I, Dr. Wendy Williams, educator, psychologist, leader, and auntie, will be joined by Black women who lead and those who have been led well by them. So, you don't have to get ready when you stay ready, and you can trust in the leadership of a Black woman because she's been ready. Hey, hey, folks. Welcome back to She Been Ready, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Wendy Williams. So one thing that y'all may notice uh, is that we are having much more more frequent um, publication of our podcast. Last year, I launched this podcast, Baby, and as I shared with people what I was doing and what I was interested in, um, I was impressed and, and a bit, uh, I would say, overwhelmed with the interest of friends and colleagues and new colleagues to to join me in a space where we can think through some of these ideas around leadership, leadership praxis, the leadership praxis of black women, um, particularly focused in liberation, but also its impacts, its impacts in particular organizations, um, in families and communities. And so on this, uh, you know, on for this next episode, uh, which will launch mid-February, sort of aligned with the Valentine's holiday, but not really, because we know that that's a complicated history. But if we center on the intention of love and what it means to cultivate a, a sense of belonging and a love of self, a love for others, and that that can be a very powerful place from which to learn and to grow, grow community, grow movements, grow, grow ourselves, grow spiritually, then you're really going to, I think, enjoy this conversation that I was able to have with Ashanti Branch. Now, Ashanti is the first male that I have invited to be in conversation uh, with me on She Been Ready, the podcast. A podcast, yes, that's been focused on the leadership praxis of black women. So let's talk a little bit about why. Uh, Let me share a little bit about who Ashanti is and perhaps that can give some direction. Ashanti was born and raised in Oakland, California. Uh, He went to um, California Polytechnic University, San Luis Obispo, where he became a civil engineer. And what comes out in our conversation and in his story is the ways in which he found this success without necessarily a sense of meaning. Uh, His career changed. He became a teacher. And actually, one of the things that we process is that he studied teaching um, at the institution where I was uh, working at the time of our interview, Mills College, storied uh, teacher education program and major influencer in the Oakland Unified School District and public schools. As a teacher, uh, he wanted to, you know, share mathematics and scientific knowledge and learning with young people. And so he realized uh, that wanting to inspire that love of, of learning and of for the sciences, for STEM, for mathematics, that he uh, interfaced with young, young men, primarily African-American and Latino boys, um, who were attending the schools in which he, he was teaching 
Um, and so he had some questions there. He developed a program called the Ever Forward Club. It was to provide a support group for African-American and Latino males who were not achieving to the level of their potential in school. He noticed that they just kind of weren't involved or engaged, and he wondered about that because he also knew that they were very, very bright. The Everford Club grew to serve both men, young men and women, and it became a not-for-profit organization that, that uh, Ashanti and his uh, you know, colleagues run. Uh, it has helped 100% of its members graduate high school, and 93 of them, 93% of them head on to college. Uh, what Ashanti has done has been phenomenal. He's taken this um, Everford Club, this idea of getting young people involved and engaged in seeing themselves, understanding themselves, and using that, understanding themselves um, as a platform toward moving toward their goals and achievement um, in very beautiful ways. He has a project, the Unmasking Movement, Million Mask Movement, where he's looking at our relationship to engaging our authentic selves, this work that started with young people has expanded um, because it's, there's such utility for the ways in which we can actually have a full-throttled, unapologetic love for ourselves. And so again, um, you know, when we think of leadership, when we think of these possibilities, one of the things I think comes through in Ashanti's work is that it starts with love and it starts with love of self. That in that space, we might be able to um, bring bring our full selves to the table, bring our full potential to the table, and in the context of leadership, bring the most important asset that we have to lead well uh, to the table. So this episode, entitled Unmasked, Black Man, Divine Feminine, um, features my, my colleague and friend, Ashanti Branch. I hope you enjoy. All right. So welcome, everyone, back to She Been Ready, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Wendy Williams, and I am very, 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 very thrilled to uh, have our our guest, our, our guest today, who is the first man to grace our space. And y'all know how I am. I'm very protective of the spaces that we create and craft for women and girls, particularly black women and girls. It must be safe. It must be sacred. Um, and so only those who are truly worthy are welcome. And my, my friend, my colleague, my, uh, comrade Ashanti branch is indeed worthy. So we're so grateful to have you here with us, Ashanti. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, yeah. Uh, I want to just give folks a little sense of who you are. This by no means will be as extensive as it can be. We'll definitely have uh, your bio and everything that's more shareable um, electronically. Um, but just to give you all a sense of who Ashanti is, I would say first and foremost, he is a good brother. Thanks. He's a good human. And we met twice once as I was seeking to get some support on actually creating this podcast. Cause Ashanti, as you can see, he has a, uh, for those who uh, will be able to see um, video, he has a big, big, big hanging from the ether uh, podcast microphone. So he knows something about it. And we have a mutual friend who actually uh, put us in contact as well, Wally. And during that time, I learned that he was an alum of the program 
the teacher education program for the school of education that I run. Um, and as an educator, what he shared with me was that he began to understand that something was happening for the boys in his school, the boys who are super smart, um, you know, but distant and didn't, he didn't, did, they didn't allow him his lessons to permeate, but I would say they weren't allowing him to permeate. They didn't trust it, uh, to permeate their bravado, their sense of what I would think is a protective protective shield around them, perhaps. So those boys were in primarily working class communities in the East Bay of uh, Northern California. That's Oakland, San Lorenzo, San Leandro. Um, and they attended the schools in which he taught or did some of his training. Uh, so Ashanti understood that the absorption of toxic or, as I've heard one um, scholar talk, call it tragic masculinity, plagued his students um, and that this is what inspired his work with them. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that I am struck by and interested in is, you know, to understand a problematic thing, we must also understand its kryptonite. And I do believe that the kryptonite to tragic masculinity uh, is divine femininity, divine, the divine feminine. And um, it's from this place that I have invited Ashanti and uh, to engage in conversation with me. He, as I said, is the first man to be on Sheep and Ready the Podcast. Um, and, you know, what people who know me know is that they know I love men and I absolutely love black men. I love our community. I am not one of those people who... Um, I don't buy it. I don't buy into the hype of weaponizing distance between black men and women. I just don't do it. You know, they are our brothers, they are our husbands, they are our uncles, they are our fathers, they are our friends, and they are community members. And we hold them close and tight to heart too, just period. And also sometimes that love that black women have for black men can be weaponized against them. And that's an honest thing to recognize as well. So I can, and I think we must hold those truths, but we must also hold each other in accountability in those truths. So I'm very careful with the space, as I said before. And again, um, I have invited Ashanti because I believe that it is with brothers like him friends, colleagues like him, that we can have real conversations about, you know, who we are in this world together, what we need from one another, how to support one another, that we all come to the table with needs. I think that's one of the issues of tragic masculinity. And I love forgetting who the scholar is. And I think that she was borrowing from somebody else. I was listening to some podcasts, probably running or something. Um, but that's the tragedy of the masculinity when it's tragic is that, we assume that men don't need things and that they're strong with on their own, you know, and sometimes they buy into this stuff and it's, it's kind of nuts because none of us are going to survive this world in that way. So I'm really, really glad that Ashanti has said yes to joining me in this conversation. We are very uh, of the same mind and open to where it goes, but we will start with the first question that I ask everyone. Um, and that is, how did you know that you've been ready, right? So that question is really centered around focusing folks in terms of, you know, what took their attention, what captured their attention to, to feel that they needed to do something in a particular area of their life, whether it's a job or career or calling or both. Sometimes those things, we're blessed to have them align. How did you know you've been ready? What was going on for you? Yeah. Well, thank you for the intro and thank you for... Uh like setting this up. Sometimes I'm, I'll get nervous about intros, you know, I'll get uh, nervous because I, um, I think I live, well, I know I live in the behind the scenes story. Mm -hmm. And even though like I've written my bios out there, yeah, like I know that it's just the highlight reel. 
And I know that today, as I come to this conversation, even um, just thinking about all the things that I that I'm grappling behind this this mm-hmm. mask that I have gotten good at wearing, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. and I think when I talk about the mask, I talk about this idea of of how I how I show up, right? I'm showing up ready. And so the question, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to answer this question, but yeah. also just knowing that there's so much, there's so much. You know, and maybe sometimes we get good at like faking it to ourselves. We mm-hmm, get in the mirror, mm-hmm, we like, okay, I'm ready, I'm ready. Mm-hmm, okay, okay, we're gonna get our affirmations, we're gonna get ready, we're gonna get pumped up. And uh when do we ever just give when do I give myself permission to be like, Yeah, today today is a rough morning. Yeah. yeah. Like today I should not have looked at social media this morning, knowing mm-hmm. what has happened recently and knowing right. of all the, the stirring that I I'm a big feeler. Yeah. And as a person who feels big. Like I have to protect how my my feelings show up on the outside because yeah. I got a work to do, I got a job to do, I got responsibilities, and I'm and I'm and so I'm I'm saying that just naming that just because mm-hmm. you know my energy is in a really um in a wild place. Yeah, yeah. like I'm my heart feels broken mm-hmm. and hurt, and so I'm trying mm-hmm. to like keep the smile on, and I got get good at it. You know, mm-hmm. I can get, but I wanted the presence real. Cause when I talk about w- what, when I knew I was ready, okay, it had to come from heart mm-hmm. because my head was like, why would you ever become an ed teacher? <laughs> Teachers don't make money. My mom was a teacher. We were broke. Mm-hmm. Like I know what it's like to go to school with holes in my shoes mm-hmm. with a loving mom who tried her best with a jacket that doesn't even protect you from the rain. Like, like the jacket was just there. It just looked puffy. <laughs> But it, it was but a big sponge, you know what I'm saying? Oh, it actually this, collected the water that repelled was, the it, water. It, yeah, yeah. It, did, it did something to the water, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but it definitely didn't protect your body from it, you know? And yeah, so when I think about yeah. that, when I think about my mom who worked so hard, who taught me mm-hmm. about respecting women, who, mm-hmm. who was my first teacher, who was... Um, my father died before I was born. So mm-hmm. the journey of me becoming a teacher, it, it was seeds planted along the way, mm-hmm. but it wasn't my plan. Mm-hmm. So that's why I started there. So okay. um, here's what happened. Um, I, I, I go up in Oakland, California, poor boy, uh, mother did her best. We were on welfare for a per- good period of time. Mm-hmm. She became a teacher. We we're still struggling. Um, and I knew clearly, uh, Shonda was going to we don't teach her. Like <laughs> if, te- if this is the way teachers live, like I didn't even know my mom went to college until I tried to join Upward Bound. Now, Upper Bound is a program for first-generation college students. I signed the application the first day I heard about it. Turned it in. The lady was like, "Oh, you're so fast." I'm like, "I'm I'm going I'm I'm going I'm getting out of Oakland. I'm mm-hmm. going to college." You know what I'm saying? I'm Upper Bound. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm saying you're saying I am oh, Upper I, Bound. Oh, I, I'm going. Go. Yes, I'm, yes, I'm in yes. here. I'm, mm-hmm. There's not the, the application is excellent right there. You, That's right. You know what I'm saying? It was in like <laughs> week two weeks before it was due. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. They're like, "We're gonna help you get to college. We're gonna go on field trips." I'm like, "Sign me up." I go in. She calls me in like two days later. She said, oh, Shanti, you know, this is a great application, but I have a problem here. She says, um, mm. um, this program is for first generation college students. I said, oh, I'm poor. We're poor. That's me. And she's mm-hmm. like, no, no, no. That means that uh, your 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 parents couldn't have gone to college. And I didn't know my dad, so he didn't definitely go from what I knew. And my mm-hmm. mom, we were poor. So I'm like. You equated what, what college it? with money and Absolutely. wealth. And that wasn't necessarily the case. <laughs> I was guaranteed. Particularly for black women who go to college. It was definitely not the place. Right, right. So right. I was like, well, my, my mom didn't go to college. It's like, well, look, your mom filled this part out right here. She said mm-hmm. she's a teacher. I'm like, what's that mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. And she was like, well, that means she had to go to college. And in my mind, right there in that moment, I was like, you mean my mama 
went to college for us to make to be this broke. <laughs> like she chose, she chose this. Like I, I was, in, I was actually in shock and on disappointed somewhat. Because mm. I'm like, why would you go to college if we're living like we living in a bunch of broken down apartments around Oakland? Like yeah. what? And I realized that moment, one thing too was going to happen that Ashanti mm-hmm. was going to never be a teacher. <laughs> and then I wanted a job where you it definitely that. wasn't going to have me living like that. So I knew that was a journey. So I went off to become an engineer. Now I didn't get okay. to join up or bound, but I snuck into a bunch of their tutoring sessions and <laughs> hid it out in the back cloud, you know, the like, back room. I'm an honorary there. member. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I'm like the water boy, you know, yeah, who needs water? Yeah. Who needs water? Who needs I got water? I was, I was so I, I made I made it work to get some of the connections, but I didn't okay. get to you know go on a lot of trips. So anyway, but so go off to be an engineer, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, come back home, okay. making big money, and um and ironically, upper bound situation comes again. So I'm working in engineering, making beautiful money, mm-hmm. you know, um, having fun, like just literally. Mm-hmm. I, actually, what I was doing I was I was I was a uh, I was searching for happy hours, so that's how my fun was happening. Like okay. I didn't miss I didn't miss a happy hour. And as an engineer, I had like spreadsheet for all the happy hours. Like what oh, was the free drinks, free bands, free music, free food. Like I had strategy to because I, I don't think I was deeply happy. Yeah. So you had strategies for happening, happiness, to find looking happiness. for happy. That's right. Looking and for happy. what I can tell you as a psychologist is that the happy is not at the happy hour. That's why they have to try to make it there. <laughs> no, mm. I know, but you I were a young now. man with money in your pocket. You went off and done all the things. And then That's you, right. you said upper bound came back again. How did that? So, uh, so a buddy of mine was like, hey, um, he was at upper bound at Mills. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how Mills came into my life again. So okay. I was like. Okay. Oh, he's like, okay, so I need a math teacher for Saturday mornings. I'm like, Saturday mornings? I don't even see Saturday mornings. I don't even know what Saturday morning looks like. I don't wake up till Saturday around noon. You know what I mean? Boy, okay. Because Friday nights is my night. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm an engineer. I'm an engineer. And I was he's like, I need a math teacher. Like, I need you to teach math. Give me two months so I can find somebody else. I said, mm-hmm. okay, you got two months. And so I came in to teach for two months. I was living at this time in Walnut Creek. So Walnut Creek is a fancy city, not in Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's through a tunnel. You got to go through a tunnel on the other side of the hill, right? Um, and I was like driving to Oakland, you know, driving to Oakland Saturday morning. Like, and I said, okay, I'm sacrificing two months only of my life. I'm giving back to my community. You know, I love Oakland. I love Oakland kids. Mm-hmm. And I get there that first Saturday and I was like, what's going on here? Mm. That, you know, like it was Saturday. These are, they're here to learn. I wanted to be an upper bound. So I know how they should be taking this serious. And some of them weren't taking it serious. And I was mm-hmm. taking it personal. I'm like, I sacrificed my Friday night for this. And you going, one kid walked in late. He came in. He's like the he's like the mayor of the class. Everyone says his name. Hey, like he's like Norm from Cheers. He comes in the room. He got to say high five to everybody, give hugs to everybody. And I'm like, who who is this? And I said, come here. I'm like, like I'm new. He's, he's new. He don't know me. I don't know him. So mm-hmm. I'm like, why are you hugging and high fiving everybody? You half hour late. You're late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, oh, you know, just you know. And I was like, sit right here. You are gonna sit in the front with me? He's like. I don't sit in the front. I sit back there. I said, no, not today. Mm. <laughs> now, this is a Saturday class. So I think they're used to the teachers just being really lax and laid yeah, back. And I'm like, maybe yeah. that's how it's supposed to be. Feeling like I'm, a mixture of summer school and after school or something. But like I'm not that, a teacher. Yeah. I'm an right. engineer. And right. I'm also here after sacrificing my Friday night. So I'm, I love I'm, that you keep prioritizing that you sacrifice. <laughs> 
it's your Friday night. I mean, yeah. I think if I'm not honest with them, with them about, uh-huh. I didn't, I didn't tell him that. I didn't tell him that in my mind yeah, I was yeah. saying that, but, but I was you were, clear. that was real for you. Oh, it was very real for me. Cause <laughs> I, I knew that Monday through Friday was just work, work, work. Like it was, you needed some place for the fun. It, yeah. And I told my buddy I was sacrificing what I normally do on Friday. Friday's a plan. I got plan. I got people to hang out with, you know. But it, but I think what I tell the story about that is yeah. it was a it was a, it was a hard decision because mm-hmm. when I started driving back to Walnut Creek that night, mm-hmm. that kid was on my mind yeah. for the whole week. Okay. And I'm like. I'm like, what am I going to do next week if he shows up late? I was like strategizing what I was going to do. I was going to call his house. I was going to go to his house. I was going, I was strategizing all kind of like, like wild idea. I'm not a teacher. I'm just a, I'm an engineer who came to tutor this class. And now this kid got me wondering, what am I going to do? Why is he not taking this opportunity serious? Because I knew I wanted to be an upper bound. Remember, mm-hmm. I, I got rejected from upper bound. Right, I, right. So I knew the value of it even though I couldn't be in it and he's in it and he's not taking advantage of it. So I was strategizing all week. And something so, in me was like, yeah, what are you yeah. doing? You're only going to be there two months. Just get this out of the way. And do- yeah. but, it, but it was more personal. And that's when the fire started turning on. So what was it about him? What happened in you? Like, I want to unpack that a little bit. What, how did you get so kind of obsessed with this kid and his kind of, cavalier attitude i guess toward upper bound was it that he got in and you didn't and look how he's treating this experience but it seems like you also it's not it feels like it also is like he became a challenge for i need to get him in engaged the way i would have been engaged yeah i was thinking also yeah all those things right and i was also Mm -hmm. thinking he's so cool he's (laughs) missing out the fact Mm -hmm. that there's hard work involved in this. Mm-hmm. Like to get to college, like I had already been in college and I already graduated. I'm from Oakland. So okay. I knew the hard work is going to take, and I didn't have a program like upper bound, but he has an opportunity. And I'm like, how are you wasting this opportunity? And I was, mm-hmm. I was hoping that he wasn't wasting it. Right. Cause you know, it, there's, there's, there's responsibilities you got to keep up in upper bound to stay in the program. He wasn't, I was like, what are you? So in my mind, I was like, how is he throwing this away now? Mm-hmm. Like, like, listen, I, I literally, I had planned to be there two months get in, get out, go back to my life. Like I was enjoying it. <laughs> and I ended up te- teaching there for two years. Mm. And I, the, the calling on my life happened. I, I think when I think about him, I, mm. I, I've, I've met, I've seen him recently. He became a teacher. What? He became, he became an educator. <laughs> he became a dean at a school. And, Shut like a, up. Yeah. He's, okay. I mean, literally when I, every time I see him, I just get, I have joy because mm-hmm. what I, what I, what I, what I saw was, Something was calling my heart bigger than just tutoring math on Saturday mornings. I think what what I went to do is help my friend who needed a math teacher. That's what I went to do. That was my task. Okay, I can do that. I love math. Mm -hmm. I think I'm smart. Let me come help you. (laughs) For sure. But what happened, mm-hmm. and, it, and, it, and it happened in a way that I wasn't planning for it to happen, because I, I'm telling you, there's nothing about what I was about to do that told me you're about to change your career. You're about to go change a job. Like, there's no way. I, that was never, that didn't even clear my mind until this situation happened. And I started, after two months, I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll stay on, you know, and I started strategizing my own life to make that make Saturday night, Saturday nights were my nights, right? So I could... <laughs> <laughs> so I still had a plan, right? But it was it was a moment where I was like, but but the fight was calling me to mm-hmm. you should be in education. But now if you education don't make money, mm-hmm. I want to make money. So what ends up happening is I changed jobs to mm-hmm. make more money in engineering, and the calling on my heart got worse because it was like you you went off, you made more money. I'm driving like 
all the way from Walnut Creek to San Jose every day. That's like hour and a half plus. That's almost an hour and a half with no traffic. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's it's too far. It's just like something. I'm like, why am I doing this? Because I'm trying to run from what's calling me to be doing right. Mm. right in my own city right right here at home and i think that's how it all happened so that's the that's how i knew i mean i, I don't know that i knew i was ready i don't think even i, I, I if i was smarter i would have been like more i would have planned it better because mm-hmm. i didn't save up enough to be like okay i'm gonna save up this much and then i'm gonna leave i was almost like i just gotta do it and the program mm-hmm. I, I, had, I had submitted an application to the to the masters at mills teacher mm-hmm. credential masters just as a whim, because my buddy who had invited me to teach this math class, he was he was in the program the year before. So he was like, you should apply, you know, and I'm like, man, what are you talking about? And I didn't tell him I was going to apply, but I, I applied anyway, because I was like in my mind, I wasn't letting him on that somehow I had like because engineering, there's a lot of prestige in that. Mm-hmm. I know the difference between people. You tell people, oh, I'm an engineer. And with the feeling you get from them mm-hmm. and the feeling you give them when you tell me you're a teacher, I know the mm-hmm. feeling. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a big, I'm a big feeler. I told you, like mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. um, I started feeling before I was even born, you know, like mm-hmm. my, there's a book, um, Mark Wolin says, uh, it didn't start with you, right. About mm-hmm. childhood trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, when my dad died, my mom was sad. Mm-hmm. So for what it what it describes in the, that in her womb, I was mm-hmm. swimming in sadness. That's right. And so basically I'm, I'm a, I come up an emotional being, mm-hmm. a boy mm-hmm. in a city that boys are not supposed to have any emotions, first of all, because yeah. anger is not considered an emotion in our community. And so therefore, you better be tough, strong, always have it figured out and never have any emotions. Mm. And I was super emotional. And so I felt stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel like that is a place where you took up a particular type of leadership before it was popular. to talk about toxic masculinity or tragic masculinity or, you know, um, this idea of working with boys and men to, to heal, to unmask. How did you know that space needed your leadership? How did you get there in terms of uh, seeing yourself as someone to be a voice in that space? And I would say that space that was quite quiet it was anybody even in there when you got into that space <laughs> in that you know, room were there others there were you on your own what what happened there it was tough in the sense that i didn't know i, I wasn't doing research in it like i was more i later i found that you know the book um cool mm. pose uh, uh-huh. i forgot you know and then uh jackson Katz had done that first documentary um the tough guys mm-hmm. g-u-i-s-e right mm-hmm. and so there was stuff out oh. there i just hadn't learned about it yet because i was an mm-hmm. engineer and i wasn't and when i became a teacher i was focused on math education mm-hmm. i wasn't really working on social emotional development and young men and i, I wasn't until i started seeing it in my class and then mm-hmm. i started getting involved in that way and i want to you know one of the things i want to I'm, I'm gonna name it here right okay. um i like the the term of tragic and i think that we're what well, one word i've also used is around confined masculinity confined masculinity here's, here's what i know about a lot of men that i've in, in this work and it's actually okay. a good point to talk okay. about it here a lot of men, sadly, when you when people use the term toxic masculinity, yes. they hear men are toxic. I know it, it's 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 not what is being said, but it's what they hear. And so what I've learned to do is like, OK, well, how about we just get fancier with the words? Right. Mm-hmm, I'll just get mm-hmm. fa- And so we've 
we, and I think in the, in the documentary, we talk about this, this hyper-masculine narrative, mm-hmm. right? This confined masculinity that's as confined with how I get to show my masculinity that's because right. I can only show certain things. So I think that for men who are, you know, and I know who your audience is, so I thank you for having these words here because I think, mm-hmm. but I think when we were trying to talk to men and get men to talk about it, mm-hmm. I think one of the things, and I learned this with the young men first, is that I got to have language that they can receive and not put up defenses because they put that's up defenses. Right. That's right. And I'm basically- Well, because tragic or toxic says you're wrong. I'm right there with you. And I think that that might just be a cultural reaction to also um, the power of men and manhood. And for us to unpack that a little bit, because from an intersectional perspective, not every man gets to walk with all the power of man and manhood. You know, white men, white supremacy allows white men access to power and privilege so that you could call it toxic. You can call it whatever you want they get to have it. And so you're right. But, um, and, and, you know, it's a rejection of that full expression of that power that not every man is, has an opportunity to fully express or to even enjoy. And I don't even know if I want to use the word enjoy, but you get my point. Yeah. So what does it mean to name it more accurately? I love that we're talking about the words. Yeah. Yeah. Confined masculinity. I am a student always. I have my thank you. Yes. Oh no. Right. Because you're saying there's only so many ways to show who I am and and, in masculine form. That's right. And I think what happens is because I'm speaking on, you know, in a lot of audiences and stages, Mm -hmm. I, I learned what it did. Yeah. When you I, watched it happen. I, oh, I watched it happen. I watched mm-hmm. the defenses go up. I watched arms fold. Mm. I watched like, man, what are you doing? Right. And I, and I you like, oh, yeah. okay. Because who Three. wants to be seen as bad? Right. Right. Which is imagine what we talk about in our schools, right? Yes. Our, yes. Our, and, and so therefore, okay, that's how you want me to be? Then fine. I'll be that way. And mm-hmm. therefore, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. uh, bad attention, mm-hmm. it will be just as good as good attention. Right? That's right. And then all the behaviors that follow after that. Yeah. I get that. But I appreciate the question because I think when you said, how did I get in this space? Like mm-hmm. when I started, I was a teacher who saw some young men in my class smart, like yeah. smart, brilliant, mm-hmm. but they weren't showing it. And I was like, you know, by the time I got to high school, I had already had my transformation. Miss BP in middle school changed my life. You know, like she's the one who said to me, Ashanti, I know you're sad that your father died before you were born, mm. but life doesn't give you what you want. Life gives you what you get and you got to make the most out of it. Mm-hmm. She said this in detention. So first of all, I didn't want to be there. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want to listen to her, but I heard it yeah. and she changed my life. I mean, because I was actually angry that I didn't have mm-hmm. a father. I was, I was, I didn't have, my community said I couldn't be sad. So I turned everything into anger because yeah. anger gets more respect in my community mm-hmm. than sad and feeling lonely and feeling mm-hmm. left out and feel all any of those feelings you don't nope nope mm-hmm. so you got to just be angry i'm just mad so i walked around like, like angry like a like a landmine mm. and i think that's what we're seeing and so we see with a lot of our young men today like mm-hmm. right they're walking around they're not talking about what the things they're really feeling mm-hmm. but they're, they're storing it up and it's just mm-hmm. building and building and building mm. and then something happens and boom like a, like a landmine no one even knows they bumped into them or stepped on their foot or looked at them wrong <laughs> and now they're trying to navigate those emotions in a very negative way so um mm-hmm. when i got into that space as a teacher i was like okay why are these young men like why are they fighting against me i was the only black teacher at the school black male teacher and the only other te- black teacher was a woman and I was like, why are they always wanting to like, like, look, if you want to prove how tough you are at that school, here's what you do. When Mr. Branch tells you to go to class, you'd be like, man, F you, Mr. Branch. I ain't going to do what you say. 
Because guess what? There's, I mean, I don't, I wasn't, I don't walk around like I was a tough guy. I, I'm a math teacher who loves to teach, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I'm not here to prove anything to you. Yeah. But if you want to like prove to your friends how tough you are. You're the embodiment of something. Guess what? So, yeah, yeah, that's right. You get to push against this yeah. force. And I'm also, I'm not timid. I'm, 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 I, I speak with clarity and mm-hmm. I think I don't, I don't yell at people. I'm not here to be overpowering you. But I'm gonna. I'm not gonna say, "Hey, can you um think about please going to class?" Yeah. No, yeah. I'm saying, "Hey, go to class." Like it's not even a. It wasn't even oh, a question. Oh my gosh, we're veering off of interview questions. I knew this would happen, but you're making me think of my godsons, um, and and one in particular who's you know always been like a very, you know, um, strong-willed child, and I, you know. And I'm a psychologist and I love him to death. I met him on his second day of life and it's been, that's it ever since. Oh, and so um, my, my sister friend, his mother would say, you know, you and, you know, you and him have a really, we do, we just, it's right here. It's been like that since forever. And, you know, sometimes with different behavioral things, I was like, you know, you can, we do love, but we all, he needs brute force. He needs some, like a, something to smack up against. So he understands where the boundary is. Yeah. And I feel like you're proving my point. <laughs> It's not, and, I, and when I meant brute force, it wasn't like he needed force at him. He just needed yeah. like the strength of a real wall. That's right. So he would understand. He just That's needs to understand because it will make him feel safe to right. have a firm, clear no. That's right. Just he needs it. It's a, you know, and I know that part of our closeness has always been my absolute willingness <laughs> to be the no wall. <laughs> you know, and in the absence of having, you know, um, maybe as much ongoing experience with that and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, you know, certain personalities need that. And also the society and the culture around boys and boyhood and, and what boys do around their rites of passage that's right. is that right. And that's some, right. we don't, without the opportunity to have those rights that's right. to have that passage, there's a lot of, uh, Miss aiming all over the place, trying to figure out like, where do I, where do I show that I can do this now? That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's and I think with that same thing you just said, with, with, with your family members, like yeah. when, when parents would come to school, like I would, like if I had to call a student's parent, like sometimes mm-hmm. it'll be a dance, right? Because like, Hmm, don't want to call. Like I have to ask a question. Don't want to call like them while they're in class. So I, mm-hmm. okay, I know, I know what this mom's going to say. Mm-hmm. So I'll, like, and I'll say, Hey, if you look, I'm, this is my last time telling you. Otherwise, I'm going to call your mom. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> then they're like, man, you ain't going to do blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and we're we going to put it on speakerphone. Oi. Right? It's like, it's like, remember, I can't remember, I can't remember engineering career to a teacher. So I didn't have all of the, I wasn't, I, it, wasn't it, it, was, it was not gentle. It was not gentle. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, was, it was loving and it was out of a cl- uh, opportunity care because I was cared for the learning of this class. Mm-hmm. And therefore, this means that I got to have you be talked to by the person who has, has power over you or has mm-hmm. more power in your life. I don't have any power over you. I can just ask you to stop talking and you telling me no. So what am I going to do? I'm not going to kick you out because kicking you out is going to do what? Mm-hmm. You be in the office. You're definitely not learning. There's no benefit there. So I was like, I'm going to handle all the problems in my class myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, 
I, you know, you you do you do one phone call too many, you realize okay, that's not a good doing to put on speakerphone, right? Because yeah, yeah, some yeah. parents, some parents have no filters. Even yeah, though, you and know, the classroom is right there. I, I learned. I learned. Yeah. I, you know, you just gotta some mistakes you gotta make. Some mistakes yeah, you gotta make. Yeah, yeah. But I ultimately know how quickly to be like, hey, pick that phone up, pick that phone up. Here, go ahead. You can just talk in your ear. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, sure. dude, why'd you make me do that? You, you, I warned you, I was gonna call her. Why'd you? Mm-hmm. Why you make mm-hmm. me do it? Like you, mm-hmm. I told you, I'm gonna call her, and you like. You, and then I didn't yeah. try to get you in trouble like that. But you know what I mean? But now, yeah, don't like let's work with me. So anyway, mm-hmm. but in that moment of like education of how we help young people and young men, mm-hmm. and I was like, they're so smart, but why are they why are they fight against me? Mm-hmm. And I knew that what I need to help them with, I couldn't do it in a classroom. So the Ever Forward Club was like a space that I could bring them out. Okay. I said, I'll buy you lunch once a week. Mm-hmm. In exchange for lunch, you're going to teach me how to be a better teacher. Because I didn't think that because they were failing my class, they were not smart. I could tell they were smart. Mm-hmm. Somehow I was not able to reach them. And as much as I even I loved them, and as much as I came to that career, not for a teacher, yeah. I came to that career, that job because I wanted to make a difference in education. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't I didn't come to the teaching career to be a teacher Mm-mm. per se. Mm-hmm. I came because I had a vision that I want to be a part of transforming education that's what it was like. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, mm-hmm. and I knew that it had to start with me teaching, right. That mm-hmm. that was the job, but it was a bigger vision. It was always a bigger vision. I didn't know what the vision was. I didn't know mm-hmm. I'd be here today in a office having an organization. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're trying to, if, if you're trying to have financial well-being, you don't go like engineer, <laughs> teacher, nonprofit leader. I I mean, that's not a financial. That's not the pathway, <laughs> is it? <laughs> the trajectory <laughs> to wealth. Well, and maybe a different type of wealth. A different type of wealth for purpose and passion. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's, so that's how it all happened. Mm. So your your leadership is providing a, a, a very promising pathway uh, to liberate men and boys from complex notions of masculinity, confined masculinity. Um, You have a project, I guess is what I would call it, but maybe you would describe it differently um, around taking off the mask and have led some groups and conversations um, and, you know, communities in that work. What does it mean to take off the mask? How, how have, how have men and boys responded to this work? Um, do they think you're trying to feminize them? Do they think that you're trying to weaken them by making those emotions, that vulnerability mm. visible? Yeah. Thank you. for that. That's a beautiful question. And I, and I had a parent ask me that once, a, a mm. father asked me that. And I was like, well, that's our work around mask. Let me say about the mask is the mask okay. is what I let the world see about me. That's right. Like today, we're wearing, I'm looking for my mask. Uh, we're wearing a lot of these personal protection masks, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we wear these masks, right? That's a cool one. This is this is called, this is Tiburon. This is Tiburon. tiburon. Yeah, it's oh, a shark. Nice. It's a shark. Tiburon. And uh, Tiburon, like this mask is this idea that I put this on to protect myself from my personal protection. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what we what this becomes is a physical representation of masks we were already wearing, right? Mm. So if, if I mm. if I've known that I've always said when I'm do how I'm doing, when people say how you're doing, I'm say fine, or I say good or cool, I'm all right. Mm-hmm. And if if I wasn't good or cool, fine or all right, when I said that, then I knew that I needed to put on a mask for that conversation. Mm. Whether I didn't think they really were asking, I didn't have time, or I didn't want to get into it, I didn't want to tell them my business. Mm-hmm. But the mask is just a, what I'm letting people see about me. Mm-hmm. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm fine. I'm cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's behind the mask is the other stuff that people can't see. 
Now, the, what they can see by just my features, that's one thing. But what they don't see is how much more is to me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what we did with this idea of mask, um, I may have one here. The mask is a representation of how I am. I'm going to find one from a younger man right here. I have an older man here. Mm-hmm. Um so if, if on the front of the mask, I'm letting you see these certain qualities about myself, what's happening behind the mask? Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to show you a mask here. This is a 38-year-old man from uh, Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. I have younger ones here. I got, they're, they're always masks here. We have, we've collected over so far 65,000 masks from more than 30 countries. Um, and it works. I've started in our work. In the time, 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 time. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a movement. Thank you. That is. Thank you for saying that. And Mm. uh, I I sometimes think like the goal, the name of the campaign is the million mask movement. Right. Mm -hmm. So it feels so far away. Right. So Mm. thank you. And sometimes I have to just stop and say, oh, that that is a lot. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's something about. I'm sorry. Yeah. It just feels like you've gotten you you've tapped into something um in terms of communicating to folks that this space is a safe space and that yeah. you can be trusted. That's right. You know, right. that you you're you're getting at a, an experience that is that is real and yeah. um and undeniable for them. Yeah. And you know, and yeah. To, and and it's, and it's simple. We mm-hmm. make it simple. Mm-hmm. We, the goal mm-hmm. is like when we first did it, I didn't know it was going to work. I was hoping it was going to work. <laughs> yeah, and then it worked. And I was like, yes. oh, my goodness. Yeah. People and needed it. People needed it. They needed it. Yeah. They, I think people have been hungry to recognize yes. that there's yes. more to each of us. There's yes. more to me that people can see. And when we do it anonymously. They're all anonymous. So I don't mm-hmm. know who they are. I mean, the person was willing to, you know, I'm, I'm going to show you this one. It was one. Sure, mask, sure, sure. Okay? Yeah, okay. This okay. one was willing to share. Uh so Washington, D.C., 38-year-old male. Okay. And on the front of the mask, which is the things that we gladly let people see. It's compassionate, it says, confident. Thoughtful. Can you read them for me? Can you mm-hmm. read them for me? Compassionate, yeah. thoughtful, confident. Yeah. Those are on and the outside, in the front of the mask. The front of the mask. And the back mm-hmm. of the mask are things that they don't usually let people see. Fragile, anxious, and fearful. Hmm. Yeah. And he's the 38-year-old man in he's Washington, D.C. Yeah. And I'm going to find one from a young person. So I have a, Okay. So okay. what we know is that... Um, young people are hungry when we do these workshops. Most times educators are sometimes our biggest barriers because they're like, mm. that's too simple. Like that, our, mm. our kids are not going to do that. I'm like, mm-hmm. why wouldn't they? Mm. They, they usually always do. Now, of course, you're going to get some kids who leave it blank or who don't, who don't write anything you can make sense of. Oh, this one is good. This is a good one. Oh my goodness. So there's a lot of these here. I think this, this is an all boys workshop. No, this is a mixture. So I have a male and female here. So oh, let me, um, pull you're up. doing the work with girls too. Yeah. The work, the man, the campaign started with, you know, our work and ever forward started with just young men. And then uh, as we started doing these workshops, they're called taking off the mask. Um, okay. Schools would say, do you do workshops for co-ed groups? And we're like, we can, of course. And, oh, and what we is. recognize is that there's a mixture and there's, mm-hmm. and, and there's masks are different. We're, we're still in the early, Okay, I'm mm-hmm. gonna. Okay, okay. So we're in this context, so we're gonna. I'm gonna show you two of these. Okay. 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 So, and and, and all the masks look different, and mm-hmm. definitely since we've been in this COVID, we've gotten masks actually look like these personal protection masks, which is really mm-hmm. interesting too, interesting. right? So here's here's another. Okay. He's a 16 year old male. So he says, "I'm happy. I'm not mad. Mm-hmm. I'm joking." On. Yeah. Okay, so he's funny, maybe. So he says, "Uh." Yeah, I joke. I joke. I'm joking. 
Yeah, I'm, joking, I'm joking. Yeah, something. Okay, like that. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, like whatever that means, right? And then he's. Oh, well, he has other people out there too. What does that mean? I wonder. Back. Yeah. Depressed, consistently tired, and pain most of the time. 16 he's sixteen in Oakland. Yeah. Mm. You know, like when mm. do, when do young kids get a get a space to be able to talk about their feeling in pain? I know physically. Physically. Is it physically? Is it or emotionally? emotionally? Who knows? And I wonder what those other figures in the background are those other i don't i just i know there's i don't know there's something yeah like a lot of them it's they have been Mm. it has been a a movement that has helped me to really recognize how much i'm gonna pull up another 16 year old year um female okay i'm age but what we know is that like no matter where we go like the the students will be willing to make a mask like this one is a 16 year old female from oakland happy kind hopeful that's on the outside and then anger sadness and insecure on the inside on the inside Hmm. i think deep down they're hungry just to be seen that's right and and when we do workshop to these schools sometimes they're actually in shock because when we what we do is we mix up the cards depending on how the workshop looks and then we ask you ask students to come up volunteers and then we read off some words, one from the front, one from the back. And usually the room starts to stir, you know, they're like, because oh, somebody, because they're anonymous, but they, mm-hmm. in their mind, they think somebody's going to know, right? Somebody's right, know. because it's your personal feelings that That's are so right. intimate, but your name is not on the paper. No name, no name. And mm-hmm. and what they recognize that somebody else in here is feeling that, because in their I mind, they think they're the only ones who went deep. They're like, oh, no one else is going to do it like me. No one else is going through what I'm going through. So I'm going to, mm-hmm. and then when they start hearing these words, the room usually goes into a silence that you have almost mm-hmm. like a pen can drop. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. I just ask them, what, what did you notice? What, mm. did, you, what did you hear? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the mask. And we know that, um, and I, and I want to, you know, just name that we have students in our schools who are also don't identify in the, in the binaries. I that's mean, right. when we started ever forward, that wasn't as much a thing that people paid attention to or even asked about or even let that's people right. talk about or, People just kept it so shielded. And so we have a lot of students who then will also identify as non-binary. Do you think that the front and the back of the mask is a type of binary that feels restrictive? Is there something in the in-between? I wonder. I think there is. I think there, I would imagine the in-between is like hmm. that that I I dance in and out of some mm-hmm. things, right? But mm-hmm. but what we know is when we're only asking for three words, we're only asking for a snapshot. Okay. Like I'm not, we're only asking people to like, can you just think of three things about yourself that you let people see gladly? Mm-hmm. And what are three things you don't let people see? Now, I think if you have in the middle, you'd be like, well, these are things I kind of let people see, or I don't, I don't know people would kind of, I try and keep it as clean for students. Cause if they can, and also we tell them on the back, here's what we tell them. Like the back is not, shouldn't be like the things that you hide. When I ask you to like reveal things you hide, mm-hmm. if you hide mm-hmm. them, maybe keep, you can keep it hidden. But what are some things you just don't normally talk much about? What are some mm-hmm. things that you, that, you know, maybe you want to talk about it, but no one ever asks. So you don't get a chance mm-hmm. to talk about those things. So we want to make sure there's room for people not to feel like we're trying to make them, you know, break open. But it is a place where people get to see. And when mm-hmm. adults do it, you know, we do this with teachers too. And we tell teachers, look, mm-hmm. if you're going to do this activity with your students, you got to make your own mask first. Because if you're not clear how it felt to think about and how hard it was, you could just be making this a, a task. And it's like, right. just do the task. Right. As right. opposed it's- to knowing that there's a, there's an emotional connection to this simple yes, task. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Hmm. You know, one of the, you know, 
it, for me, it feels like an essential element of your work is to help boys and men, but yeah. girls too, assuming the teachers, women. So basically everybody, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is good, uh, but to help boys and men in particular to trust yeah. that their manhood is not compromised when they stop operating from within a confined masculinity. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, it, and it actually expands. That's right. It that expands. Makes, yes, yes, yes. Oh man. Yeah. You know, and I guess, you know, we're in a world where we have been operating inside of binaries that haven't worked. And so I'm realizing that even with the framing of this conversation with you and I, that I've been thinking of masculinity or, you know, math, you know, the masculine and the feminine, but you know, what about that space in between? And what about the freedom to be found in just, excuse me, I got a little excited, Um, but the freedom to be found in just removing the boundaries, removing yeah. the categories. Um, yeah. What yeah. did you find that come up in some of the work that you're doing with folks? I mean, you know, I feel like you have to be brave to get real free, yeah. but I feel like there's a real possibility for like real liberty, real liberation, real freedom inside. Absolutely. We can un- undo that. What do you? What are your experiences with that? So, uh, so as a, as an educator and as a person, a lifelong learner, I, I'm mm-hmm. continuing asking questions. I ask a lot of young these people who have made masks in this movement have mm-hmm. been people who have heard a question asked to them and they were willing to like create. I, on a podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed a man, uh, um, a, a person um, uh, who, when I asked him about how he identifies, because in the podcast. Um, how they identify mm-hmm. identify as non-binary. Okay. But what I what I what I was trying to understand because I'm I'm still learning. I want to yes. I want to understand. Like I I was born in this body, and this is mm-hmm. the body that I identify with. So I, in order for me to be willing, in order for me to understand, I have to ask questions, and I got to find people that I can trust to ask hard questions because how else am I going to break past the the ignorance that I have, the under- mm-hmm. misunderstanding I have, the mm-hmm. the confusions I have. I, mm-hmm. But if, if but if every time I ask a question, I get assumed that I'm I'm being something or I'm being mm-hmm. not accepting or I'm not being. Mm-hmm. I think we need to make more spaces for people to begin to learn because I mm-hmm. want to understand and learn. Mm-hmm. And so when I asked about uh, how they have come to understand this idea of being mm-hmm. not in the binary, the way the answer was was beautifully mm-hmm. crafted and it was beautifully helped me really hear my heart, hear hear what their heart was and mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm in this body, I'm told by society that I have to act like this and this and this. There's a box. There's a man box that they says you must act like this. Mm-hmm. But what if I don't want to act like that? <laughs> then what they end up doing, they end up telling me, well, if you act outside of this box, then you're not a real man. Mm-hmm. So almost if you think of a spectrum of, you know, for masculine and feminine, you have the, 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 the spectrum. You recognize, well, they're trying to say the world. Then if you're not here, then you have to be over there. Mm-hmm. And they have decided that, well, I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm all over. Mm -hmm. I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere. If I haven't been told by society that I can't be kind and caring and loving and gentle because that makes me, makes me a woman or a feminine and I'm not, then, then I'm basically saying that where do I have to make a, so I fit for myself. And they made a mm-hmm. decision that I'm just going to be where I need to be for myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to like, if, if I have to claim there, then you tell me something's wrong. there. if I claim there, you tell me something's wrong there. I'm just going to not claim any of it and it be mm-hmm. myself. And mm-hmm. you just deal with it for you do it yourself. And that was for me a way to, when I heard it, I was mm-hmm. like, I felt it. Yeah. 
And it made like a lot. Of, I had not had that understanding of even that time, the term mm-hmm. non-binary before, really. Mm-hmm. I, I, I knew what it meant, mm-hmm. but I didn't understand it in a really visceral mm-hmm. way. It's understanding it too, outside of reference to the actual, bi- the, the binary, the either side of the pole. That's right. You know, it's, uh, right. I, mm, to be everywhere. To be everywhere. You know, it's like trying to fit air into a box. <laughs> we are the air. Yeah. <laughs> we all yeah. are the air. That's right. You know, and that's, that's right. freedom. Yeah, that's freedom. Just because you close a box in around some air don't mean that the air on the outside still is not there and the air on the, it, that's, that's just right. you closing a box. That's right. And that's, that's, yeah, that's what the binary is. And it's been beautiful. In my beautiful. view. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think the, um, yeah. mm-hmm. and, I'm, and I'm excited about that piece, right? So mm-hmm. I get to continue mm-hmm. learning, but I think mm-hmm. also just where do we give our young men and boys a space to like, look, if you feel it, mm-hmm. it's real mm-hmm. for you to, to say, I feel it, but I can't show it is something else. So the question is what, why would you resist showing, mm-hmm. feeling something that you actually are feeling? And if it's because the messages of other people have told you that you have now, you are less than you are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we have a society that loves to tell people how they should behave and how they I should know. act and who they should be. And, and I mean, if there's so much more of that happening right now where yes. we have society, I'm not trying to jump into too many political topics, but we have <laughs> men, fine. a lot of men telling women what to do with their bodies. Yeah. I, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm appalled. But I'm, I'm sometimes not surprised, but I'm also yeah. in shock that we continue to be a place that says, I get to tell you what you get to do, <laughs> where you can be, how you should be. And I, and I think that we, I mean, I, it's, it's something that I'm constantly, and in this nonprofit mm-hmm. world, I'm always trying to like figure out how to be, how to have an opinion about things I have an opinion about. Mm-hmm. And also feeling sometimes afraid to like be, polarizing right oh yeah well the politics and the paychecks yeah oh trigger trigger oh. point sorry <laughs> but it's true that I mean it's I feel so like that's true. part it's of the so issue true. in the not profit that's right. that's right you know um gosh you know i wonder what you feel you've learned about masculinity in this work like what have you come to understand about it maybe from more of an anthropological perspective like just being in the um being in the search, being in the space and the terrain. I think I was uh, practicing a talk or saying some words out loud uh, earlier this week or today (laughs) or something. I was like, I have, there was a lot part of my life where I was closed off Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. feelings. Like I had learned Mm -hmm. feelings aren't respected. Mm -hmm. They're definitely not expected from men you better keep them tied up you better be tough and strong all the time mm-hmm. and i realized that to to connect to my heart is like hard work mm. it, it's not hard work to connect to the heart it's hard work to have to navigate all the thoughts that are telling me that i shouldn't that's right because there's 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 consequences there's consequences to be a person who feels who lets yourself when if i when i was in a place where whatever i don't care about none of this stuff i don't care about nothing more, like i can just operate and be just moving forward mm-hmm. don't got to spend any energy worrying about it. i ain't got time for that i ain't got time for that i got time for your feelings i got time for your feelings i don't even have no feelings mm-hmm. but when i got to a place where i began to uh, let myself feel i mm-hmm. think i've i tell people you know in the last 12 years i joined my men's team in 12 years ago ever forward started 18 years ago okay. um I probably have cried more in the last 12 years than I have in all of my years mm-hmm. because I had learned early on not to cry. Stop crying like a little, whatever. Stop being mm-hmm. a little sissy. Stop being all the names they would tell uh, you that would 
but a that little, would, would, yeah, all the some, words, and they're I mean, feminized. Those and words, feminized words, absolutely, crying like a little bitch, right? Crying yep, like a little sister, right? Girl, yeah, little, girl, mm-hmm, all of mm-hmm. it, and you're like. Oh, what I'm uh-huh. not. So I better not do yeah. that. Yeah. And therefore, we have a situation where our young men are, are trying to do that too. Because cool, right. cool right. is a powerful mm-hmm. uh, dopamine swagger hit on your soul. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> There's a whole movement around it. So we started to promote it. That's right. That's right. <sighs> so I think, so what I've learned is that I, that it's, it takes hard work, that yeah. hard work. It's hard work. Hard and if I and, if I and if I and if I can say in my head, then I can be can disconnected. And that's mm. how people can operate in ways where they're like, I you should do this because you should, because mm. they're operating from here and not from here. And mm. I think to be a person operates from their heart, um, it requires you to 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 see things differently, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, so one of the, you know, I I hadn't real. maybe you did tell me that before, but I, it didn't stick for me that you have been doing this work with girls as well. I remember you telling me that the girls were like, we want to be in the ever forward group too. Why are you buying them lunch and not us? <laughs> I didn't realize that some of the programming most recently does include, you know, our co-educational or our all educational, I should say. Right. Yeah. Um, just workshops. Just workshops. Work, we, we don't have, we don't have clubs yet. Yeah. And we're hoping that in the next, we imagine the next year mm-hmm. too, we're going to be bringing someone on the team who is going to focus on that. That's not a focus. I can, I can't create that programming, but, Mm -hmm. but we know when we go do workshops or, you know, all school workshops, we can do them. We do them for everybody. And we, and we know that there's a need there too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just, I'm wondering about what insights you're learning about the types of masks that women and girls are wearing and particularly black women and girls. What are those masks? What are what are we, what are you observing black women and girls are masking? Mm, That's a great question. dive yet to like really see mm-hmm. that but i think in my in my own mm-hmm. like work mm-hmm. that's what i'm asking and, and, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just in um there's a belief in our society that i mean our, our young people in oh we say oakland i'm say oakland here um mm-hmm. it's very hyper sexualized Mm. And I think and women begin to believe that or begin to hear through messaging, through mm-hmm. media, through peers, through community, that your value is in your appearance and your mm-hmm. and that's your worth. Mm-hmm. And so then if you are always if you're smart and talented and whatever and people and you have th- thoughts and we know that uh, like girls get pushed out of school as well as mm-hmm. like boys mm-hmm. like because it, most of the teachers are white women not 75 percent of teachers are women but mm-hmm. uh, maybe, you know, I don't know the demographic 80 percent 80 percent now 80 so, percent of teachers are middle uh, middle class white women thank you for that working Sorry, middle I, class white women mm-hmm. I think I want to get my data up to date because <laughs> but I know you feel that. And if you, you are a that? young black girl, and I, I mean, I was the oldest, so I had a sister and my mm-hmm. sister, I knew she could push my buttons. So I knew she was going to push the buttons of some of these other people. And I, <laughs> and I taught her, I taught her, I mean, I was a, I was a man of the house, so I was yeah. teaching her, but I taught her, Hey, if I see you hanging with these guys over here, we're going to have mm-hmm. a problem. If mm-hmm. I like, like she had a, a brother who was not her father who operated as her father. Mm-hmm. Like I was clear about what I expected from her mm-hmm. and that I uplifted her. Mm-hmm. I praised her. Mm-hmm. I saw as a, when I became a teacher and administrator, I saw so many black girls in my class who didn't, didn't have that. that. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for that. And I had to be really careful because I saw my little sister in them. Yeah. But I also knew that, okay, 
Okay, like, um, okay, <laughs> Kishanti, let's be, be like be mindful here, right? Like mm-hmm. they when they start to know that you care about them and you want to support them, they get really friendly. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't be giving you a hug here, you know, mm-hmm. give you a high mm-hmm. five. And something they and you want to, like, I just want to embrace mm-hmm. you, little sister. But also, I also have a, a job here and I'm profession. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what is somebody like? I always have to be like over hyper conscious of like not being overly friendly sometimes and it felt it felt it felt exhausting well the hypersexualization that you're saying the society places on women and on black girls and women in particular type yeah. of sexuality that is accessible and unrapeable yeah. right is then what becomes a block between authentic relationship yeah. between them having a healthy connection with a black man yeah. and so there is a limit to what your work with them could be versus what your work with the boys could be just by virtue of our very toxic society. And that's how right. we, you know, it's like boys can be angry and girls can be sexual and never the tween shall meet. And it's that's just right. anger and sex. That's right. That, that's right. And so that's a confined femininity it's as well. Com- that's like, yeah. that's very confined expression. That's right. That's right. Oh, that's so upsetting. And in Oakland, we have a lot, you know, we have a lot of situations where mm-hmm. tra- young women are being trafficked. You uh-huh. know, we had, so when I was a vice principal at a middle school, mm-hmm. there was a young woman and just mm-hmm. watching that situation and watching like mom feeling helpless and her yeah. mom feeling helpless and watching where she was disappearing to, it, it was, you know, you're feeling helpless too as an adult. And you're like, how do I help this young woman to mm-hmm. find her value in herself? Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. but if, if if you haven't heard the messages that you've been looking for and yearning mm-hmm. for, I've been, I've just been like, we got to do a better job. And I think that the work mm-hmm. is like these masks of like, I, I want to be tough and intelligent and strong, but that in the behind, I feel insecure and worried mm-hmm. and sad. Like mm-hmm. those emotions are, have to be dealt with. And you can't just be like, Oh, well they'll deal with them when they get to college or they'll deal with no. them when they get, become an adult. No, we as, as educators and parents and community have to figure out how do we wrap around our students so they can yeah. feel like insecurity. I think I feel insecure sometimes, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't, I don't lead with that. Right. So therefore, even though I do feel it sometimes I'm like, okay, but I'm, I'm going to keep working hard through this. Right. Mm-hmm. What if, what if that was starting to become the lead and anything that helped me to not feel that I'm going to, I'm going to climb for it. Right. I'm a clamor mm-hmm. for it. And I think we, I, I just believe we have a lot of work to do in our schools to around the social emotional development of our young people. And I think that's part of my work too. What do you, you know, when I think about black women and girls, we also, we often talk about the divine feminine or even thinking about the all, but I also think that there's divinity and masculinity as well. And that that needs to be reclaimed. And I feel like a lot of your work actually speaks to taking a different frame around that. When we think about some of the masks that you see women and girls wearing, I would say that anger could be one, the self-protection could be one, the everything's fine one. Um, You know, I got it all together, Olivia Pope (laughs) stuff, you know, Um, Shonda Rhimes is good at writing (laughs) characters and also letting us see beneath the veil as well. Um, What role do you think that a more balanced or, even divine appreciation of how masculinity, because w- women are that too. Yeah, we are. We are all all sides. That's right. And so, a lot of what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, there's this imbalance in terms of our expression. Mm. And so, what what are you seeing, or what would you just in your work and what you've observed? And nothing is not a scientific study. Yeah. Um, what are women and girls, black women and girls in particular, um, maybe needing that you've observed in terms of coming into balance? Yeah, man, that's a mm, that's a powerful one. 
it's a powerful question. What's coming to mind first is um, there's a Pew research um, mm-hmm. that was done about uh, what the qualities the, the the genders value in each other, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And what it talked about was that um, that kindness and mm-hmm. caring were qualities that were valued in women. Mm-hmm. Kindness, loving, caring. Yeah, but they were seen as negative qualities in men mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and in, and vice versa. Um, tough and assertive and strong and powerful were seen as qualities that were seen Valuable. as highlights for men, but seen as not so much for women. Mm-hmm. And I think what we have to begin doing, I think in the work that we have mm-hmm. to do is we have to begin helping people realize. And, we, and I think when we start younger, we we have a better chance at doing it. We can't wait mm-hmm. till you're 30 and you believe that that's the way it should be. <laughs> and then you're, I mean, that's like erasing a whole lot of extra baggage, right? That you've carried. Right. I think the part of it is like, we can come to a place where we can say, I think that these qualities are powerful in people. Right. Yeah, and I think, yeah. and I think it requires us to just begin to begin more uh, empathetic, mm-hmm. understanding, learning about each other. Cause I think we have a lot to Mm-hmm. So we have a lot. I think we have a lot to do in general to mm-hmm. just be a more inclusive and accepting society. But I think when I think about black women in my world, in my life, and my as a teacher, like, the, like I recognize how my sister, who was and my mom, who was the first black woman in my life, they helped craft how I interact with other black women because mm-hmm. I love them, and I and I treat like I remember being in the fourth grade and got hit by a girl on the bus mm-hmm. like slacked so hard mm. and my all my buddies were like dude you go let her slap you like that and i remember my mom was like you don't hit girls you don't hit women and in my mind i was like feeling like angry and sad mm-hmm. and so i cried on this bus i mean fourth grade crying by the time you get to fourth grade you should not be crying on the bus right mm. and i remember that moment of like tears and emotions and just like rushing because I knew that I needed to respect what my mom told me about this. And, but I was feeling harmed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think of what I have learned in my work is like, I see it. I see the sides. I see the part where like I would react out in a different way. Like all my friends were like, don't let that happen. Like, and I was like, but I can't do that. Like, that's not yeah. what you're supposed to do. And I think in my mind as a kid, I'm, I'm eight, you know, I'm nine years yeah, old. So I'm, yeah. what do I know? I don't know a lot, but where, where did, where those behaviors stop and start? Mm-hmm. If at nine, my friends are, are edging me that I should be hitting her because she hit me or because I felt harmed, I should harm. Then where are those, where are those other fifth and fourth graders learning it from? Because, mm. you know what I'm saying? They're, they're, I, I don't have a father in my house. I'm learning. Where am I learning masculinity from? Other boys on the bus, mm. other boys yeah. in the playground. There's no male teachers at my school. So I'm only learning it from other boys that I'm around. Mm-hmm. And the pressure to conform is powerful. Yeah. And so I've always had to kind of contact my heart. And I know that that's not how I want to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you don't have that around you, if you never had a, 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 a place of the soul that said, this is not okay mm-hmm. behavior. This is not how I should act. Even though something in me says I want to do something, but I need to like walk away. Like there, I mean, I think I'm talking about so many different things in this one piece, but I think. Because there's a lot it, of things here. It's fine. There's a lot of, it's a, yeah, but, <laughs> it's, but, a it, but, it's, but it's a heart, it's a heart piece, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, mm-hmm. I have made a decision that I lead with love mm-hmm. and, and I, and I give it first. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I give it even when it's not given to me, right? But that's I, right. but I've, 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 li- I've decided that that's how I'm gonna be, and um, mm-hmm. and yeah, and I remember, and it, and it, 
And those old, those other messages started really young. Mm -hmm. They started really young. Mm. Yeah. So that's Mm. how I, that's how I think about it. Mm. So one piece, uh, one uh, element of the conversations that we have on She Been Ready is that, you know, usually have uh, women of different backgrounds, uh, black women typically in leadership in different work areas and industries. And I ask them, you know, what would you say to a young woman or to your younger self coming up? Um, And you've beautifully sort of framed this with regard to thinking about your mother and your sister and, you know, the young girls that you, you work with as well. And so I, you know, I think that what I really want to know, and this kind of connects to what you just shared too, you know, is how, you would speak to your younger self, to other little black boys about, mm. or even, you know, young men or older men that he'd work with. Yeah. Um, what words of advice would you give for them for how to live in solidarity, true solidarity with the women, the black women and girls in their lives, yeah. their mothers, their aunties, their sisters, their cousins. Mm. What would that that's look beautiful. like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. That's a, um, I think because if I try and talk to all of them, I'm gonna talk to them. I'm gonna talk to me. I'm gonna talk to me. Okay, I'm gonna talk to my little brother, right? Yeah. I think yeah. that you know, um, no matter what has happened to you, um, you were brought here out of love, mm-hmm. and even though you've not always felt it, even though you've not always experienced love, maybe every day of those those days you've been here, but know that. It started with love mm. and our work on ourself is to your work on yourself is to constantly be honorable and true to yourself around leading with love mm-hmm. that every day you're not going to feel happiness every day. That that's not a, that's not a thing that <laughs> no one promises you should be happy every day of your life, but mm-hmm. that you know that the, the benefits of like finding joy in even the tough moments and that, our sisters, our mothers, our aunts, our grandmothers, our our, our our community, they need us too to be whole. They need us to be our true selves. They need us to respect ourselves because if we can't respect ourselves, we're definitely not going to have any opportunity to respect them. They need us to hear them, to listen. As 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 a, as a boy growing up, you're gonna want to fix things. You like to fix things. Like we like to solve problems. But guess what? They don't always want you to solve their problems. Sometimes they just want you to listen and just be an ear. And when they ask, then maybe you can go into solving mode. <laughs> I think those are some of the lessons that I would teach my younger oh, self. Oh man, yeah, that's, that's the best I got right here. On the I, fly. you know, one I can't wait to um, play this and will force my godsons to sit down <laughs> and listen to this episode. Um, so many wonderful gems, actually, and I really do thank you for speaking directly to yourself, but also, you know, and being very specific. It also lands in multiple places because it it's. So, um, so on point. So the last question that I have for you is, um, you know, I just want to know what you're up to. You've alluded to a documentary. So I want us to make sure that people, um, have a sense of what that is. This is, um, you know, uh, this episode will be playing out during the 2023 year. So I don't know if the documentary will be completed by then. What else is going on? What's, you know, what's your work? What's your vision? What are you manifesting? What are you trying to see happen in this work and in this movement? 
Yeah. Well, the movement is called the Million Mask Movement. First of all, thank you for letting me have this opportunity to share this. And, yes, absolutely. You know, and the documentary that you just said, actually, you the context you gave is actually really interesting because I was actually talking about a documentary that was already finished. Oh. And you and you're talking about a documentary that hasn't yet been created. So you've actually I, I without I had not talked about the vision that I had. Let's manifest it. Ashanti. But, yes. But it's already happening. Yes. So, good. Good. <laughs> so with these masks. Oh my God, that's so funny. So hopefully by that time we would have put out, you know, a, a mini piece around okay. these masks. And we um, you know, the goal of a million was only to like say, I think it's a beautiful number, but it's also aspirational to help mm-hmm. a million people. But every mask we get, I take these masks very serious. I, I mm-hmm. take I keep them protected. Mm-hmm. I I mean I'm really protective mm-hmm. of them. But every mask is an opportunity for us to help more people realize they're not alone. And so I think in the next, you know, this next season, we are expanding that work with the Million Mask Movement. Mm-hmm. We hope to be at a million by the end of 2022, early 2023. I don't know how. I mean, we're, we're a long <laughs> way away, but it's just it just sounds good, right? Yes, but, we're working but it can hard. happen. It can. And I think to find the right people who are partnering with us um, and we are. Um, this summer, we're having our Social Emotional Leadership Academy, which is for okay. young men in high school. Um, and they get to learn about themselves. They get to learn about being leading themselves and then leading others. And so that's the work, mm. the Social Emotional mm. Leadership Academy. And so those are the two big things. And um, if you're, you know, for those who are on social media, we're, we're at Ever Forward Club and you can see our work there. And we're, we ask people just don't keep it to yourself. Okay. You know, like it, it, if anything inspired you, Tell one person because if, if everyone tells another person about these masks, mm-hmm. more people would be realizing that they're not the only ones wearing those that's masks. That's right. That's right. And, so it's and just, there's um, way more than a million of us wearing them. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to put all the information in the show notes. Ashanti, right thank you so, so much. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you for your time and thanks for having me. Appreciate you so much. <laughs> Wow, what a wonderful opportunity and conversation with Ashanti Branch. I hope you all enjoyed it. So I'm coming in here to share a little bit of news and a a piece of work that I'm incredibly excited about. I have just published a book, or rather, it's it's getting published and will be available for uh, purchase. Actually, now, uh, any books that are purchased now will be uh, shipped out on February 28th. The book is called Black Women at Work on Refusal and Recovery. And we are going to be having a number of conversations and discussions to promote the work, talk about it, and lift up conversations about black women's experiences in the workplace. I thought what I would do is read you an overview of the book's uh, focus and just, you know, help to encourage and connect you with the ideas here, some of which have already come up through the context of our, our podcast, She Been Ready. So Black Women at Work on Refusal and Recovery details and offers vignettes to illustrate how patriarchy and white supremacy have restricted black women at work, both historically and currently. Around water coolers and over glasses of wine, black women come together and process the ways in which their labor is taken for granted and their excellence called into question. Black Women at Work on Refusal and Recovery makes the direct connection between these contemporary experiences and the long legacy of black labor exploitation i.e. enslavement. 
Through the trafficking and enslavement of Africans, European Americans laid the inhumane foundation of their present day wealth and privilege and established oppressive labor dynamics for workers that persist to this day. And black women at work, Dr. Wendy Williams moves the conversation beyond the stubborn audacity of inequity, focusing instead on the powerful history and example of black women's labor and refusal practices and on the potent role that choice and voice can play in dismantling seemingly impenetrable systems of unfairness. Through the interweaving of personal narratives and social media reflections, Williams crafts a larger narrative of recovery and refusal that articulates a liberatory path toward recovery and reclamation through refusal, a path that will ultimately help to bring us all closer to freedom. I hope you all are excited and interested in in reviewing this book. We will be having uh, Instagram live conversations and a few book group spaces where some women, black folks, and folks who are interested in uplifting and supporting the labor and and professional experiences of black women occur. So I hope that you will find some time and space in your life to engage us in this incredible work. And thank you as always for your support.